Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. episode 93 with Will Collins on backcountry fishing and canoeing. Awesome. Well, um, we can get rolling. I, I'll save the rest of my questions for you uh, for the actual episode. Sweet. But um, I always start by getting a, a background on my guests. So I'd love to hear how you got your start in the outdoors in general. And we'll kind of dive deeper once we get to that point. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, man, the outdoors in general. Um, fishing and the outdoors kind of went hand in hand for me. But uh, I grew up as a little kid here in northern Illinois, which is where I live uh, currently. And I always grew up, uh, I guess I'll just kind of tie the fishing and outdoors intertwined. Um, but yeah, I grew up just going, uh, to the local pond, uh, fishing for bluegill for, uh, bass. Um, I think bluegill was the main thing. My dad was an angler, um, not a huge outdoorsman, but he loved to go to, to fish. Um, so he would take me out fishing as a little kid. Um, and then, I went to a summer camp in Northern Wisconsin as a kid, uh, like a sleepaway summer camp. And that's really where, uh, like I got hooked into the outdoors. Um, and I would go up there and we'd do, uh, uh, you know, a few night canoe trips as like a nine-year-old kid, you'd do like a three-day canoe trip, uh, through Northern Wisconsin and just kind of eventually I kept going to that summer camp. It's called Camp Manitouish YMCA. And, um, uh, eventually I did like some longer trips. This, this camp, uh, offers some extraordinary trips. So what I did when I was, uh, so what 16 and 17, when I was 16, I did a, uh, 30 day canoeing trip, uh, in Saskatchewan, 
a backcountry canoe trip through this camp organization. And then the following year, I did a 45-day backpacking trip uh, in the Brooks Range of Alaska, um, which had some epic grayling fishing. And those trips kind of cemented like the the love for those big, wild outdoor trips. And I just kind of kept rocking with it uh, with it since then. Um, I've yeah, I've done some interesting canoe trips. I, I love to canoe. That's kind of my main thing, canoeing and fishing. Um, and so I, in 2017, I canoed the entire length of the Mississippi river, which was a 103 day trip, uh, 2,300 miles backcountry canoeing, uh, all across America. And then the following summer I did, uh, uh, canoeing trip, a backcountry canoeing trip all the way across the Yukon river in Alaska, which bisects, uh, Alaska, uh, runs across it east and west. That was a 70 day canoe trip. Um, across Alaska. And then, yeah, since then, it, things have just kind of grown. I have a podcast as well. Uh, I talk about a lot of this stuff, Buffalo Roamer Outdoors. Um, I have a little guiding business where I take folks out on backcountry canoe trips. And uh, yeah, and I, and I love to fish too. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions for you. You just, I feel like you just gave me enough content to talk to you for like five hours. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the summer camp, that's like a pretty uh, incredible experience to have as like a teenager. I feel like, you know, normally when you think of a summer camp, you're like, oh yeah, we did some like rope work and rock climbing and we went canoeing for the afternoon and you're like, oh yeah, we went for 30 days. Like how, you know, what is, what is that like as a teenager kind of being thrown out into the world doing trips that are probably longer than most people will ever take in their entire life? Like what's that like oh. being so young. It was absolutely amazing. And only uh, looking back on it, I'm 30, uh, 31 um, now. And, and only looking back on it, do I really realize the magnitude of those trips and, and the, the effect that they had on my life. Um, it was pretty, pretty neat, actually, uh, from my podcast. I recently got a call from that, uh, from that camp that somebody had heard me talking about the, the camp uh, on my podcast. And this, this particular person has their own foundation. And after learning a little bit about the camp, they decided to make a huge uh, contribution um, to that to that camp, which I thought was was pretty neat. But yeah, it's, it's a special place. I mean, uh, yeah, throwing kids out in the woods for 30 days, there's not a lot of people uh, in today's society that would do that. And this camp's been doing it forever. And uh, yeah, it's magical. I, I remember uh, the 30 day canoe trip, you know, you're only a seven, 16 year old kid. So it's kind of hard to put it in perspective, but, uh, I, I remember the 30 day canoe trip. It was like awesome. And I, one of the things I took away from that trip was like, uh, okay, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I still sometimes say that to myself because there's times where it's like, you know, you're a 16 year old kid, all your friends are back home, like uh, playing PlayStation over the summer or whatever. And it's like raining sideways. You're freezing cold in the middle of Northern Canada. There's like nobody within miles away. You're like, what, what am I doing here? And you're like, all right, going gets tough, the tough get going. Um, but then the other thing I re remember uh, specifically is when I was in the Brooks Range in Alaska that following year, I was hiking down this ridge and just thinking like, wow, I'm a long way from, from little old DeKalb, Illinois, where, where I grew up. Uh, yeah, I was super lucky to be able to be exposed to that stuff uh, and to have parents that, that put me in that, that uh, camp that kind of sparked, uh, sparked my passion because my, my brother and sister both went to that same camp as well, but they didn't do the big longer trips because uh, it didn't 
resonate with them as much. They did like the smaller canoe trips and had a fun time, but it wasn't uh, as, as impactful for them as it was for me. That's for sure. Yeah. I feel like obviously it's not for everyone as you just stated with your siblings, but, um, I'm I'm kind of inclined to believe that any kid who wants to do that should have the opportunity to go out and do something like that just because I feel like there's got to be so much carryover with what you learn in that kind of environment where you know you're you're kind of relying on yourselves and people you're with and I just think that lesson overall even if even if you don't end up doing more you know massive canoe trips specifically um the lessons you learn in that kind of environment, I think, probably transfer pretty well to the rest of your life. You know, be, just being able to be resilient, um, be adaptable, think on your feet, like that kind of stuff is just inherent in a trip like that. Um, and I know if, if I ever have kids that if they're put in that, if, if they are given an opportunity like that, I, I just view it as so invaluable for, you know, a young person getting ready to go out in the world. 100%. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh uh, looking back on it, uh, that that camp and those experiences definitely shaped who I am. And they put a big emphasis on, like you said, being a leader, being resilient, um, you know, finding solutions, uh, uh, all that type of stuff. And as a 16 year old kid, you don't necessarily realize it when you're out there. But yeah, looking back on it, yeah, all that stuff set like the cornerstone for the values uh, that I have, and you know, uh, for for being a leader. Yeah, it's not 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 a lot of people or not everybody, I should say, uh, wants to be a leader or wants to, to be put in that situation. But um, yeah, I definitely learned a lot. And there's lots of different ways to do it, right? Sports teams can do that. Um, but yeah, if you have a knack for wanting to be in the woods, man, I don't think there's a better way than, than going camping for a long time. Absolutely. So were you, I know you mentioned that you had kind of grown up doing some bluegill fishing. Were you able to do some fishing on these trips or was this kind of something that you noticed a, like a spark for canoeing and then you combined it with fishing later? Like, were you able to, to do the both at the same time or that come later in I life? I think it was a little bit of both. I didn't really, uh, I always had a passion for fishing. Um, my dad, as I said, is an angler and I've been lucky to, uh, that, to, that he shared that passion with me. Um, so yeah, I grew up bluegill fishing, bass fishing on those, uh, on those trips at that, at the camp Manitouish, uh, I definitely fished, but they were not like fishing trips. They were, uh, uh, canoeing trips and yeah, I did a bunch of fishing on them. Uh, I think I was probably like the, the one kid on both those trips that was just like dying to throw a line in uh, anywhere I could. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember in, in Saskatchewan catching just like just so much untouched water. You just like pull a, pull a spoon through a pool and, uh, you know, massive, uh, pike or big walleye. I mean, yeah, we, we had so much amazing fish on that trip. And then the, uh, the Alaskan trip in the Brooks range. Um, also I didn't know looking back on it, but that was, my dad had given me a fly rod, uh, uh, as a, a Christmas gift, my first ever fly rod the summer before that, that trip, I went up to Alaska and, uh, so I was just kind of messing around with it up there and we were catching, I was catching grayling, like 20 inch grayling, 19, 20 inch grayling. Like it was nothing like left, right, every single cast. It was just amazing. And then only once I've, uh, you know, been a, been a, a fish bum for, for the next, uh, 15 years, did I realize that like, wow, I was catching trophy, uh, you know, trophy grayling on every cast, just in like the most pristine Alaskan wilderness. Like that, that's tough to top. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to like decide what's better. Like, you obviously want to go out and have the best fishing every every time. Um, but 
I feel like there's definitely a, a part of me that looks back and it's like, I definitely don't want my first time going out somewhere to be incredible just because I don't want to set the bar too high for myself because you, you don't realize it until after the fact where you're like, oh no, that was not like the usual experience. But you're never going to turn down an experience like that, obviously. Um, totally. But it's sometimes I, hard. I always, <laughs> I, I always think about that too, especially when I'm fishing with other friends or like maybe somebody, if I'm fishing with somebody who's not quite as fishy as me, uh, I'm always like, if we're in on, you know, if we're in them and the, and the bite is on, I'm always like, we got to stay as long as we can because it seems like we could just come <laughs> back and do this tomorrow. But I know like if I show up the same time tomorrow, I'll catch like one fish or get skunked or something like the bite is on now. Like we got to, you know, we got to make hay while the sun is up, like, keep right. casting, you know, <laughs> so do you, uh, do you kind of switch back and forth between the fly rod and spin rod then? Cause it sounds like you do maybe a little bit of both, uh, or have yeah. at least done both. No doubt. I, uh, yeah, I, I do both. I, uh, I worked in a fly shop in Montana. I worked at a fly shop in, uh, in Bozeman, Montana. Um, uh, but I over over the years, um, I, I've gone like back and forth, right? So I started up as a kid spin fishing bluegill bass in the Midwest, uh, and then I went to school in uh, in Boulder, Colorado, and that's after the Alaska trip. That's where I first picked up the fly rod uh, and kind of you know dove in head first to fly fishing. I'd be like taking my three weight out between classes on the little Creek that runs through campus and, uh, you know, catching little brownies and like the 30 minute window I had between class, uh, and just like exploring all of the backcountry mountains and, and all the, the, the water in the front range there. Um, so that was when I really got hooked into fly fishing and I was pretty much consistently, uh, fly fishing, um, from there, I suppose, until I moved to South Dakota, I lived in South Dakota for three years and those people up there don't even know what a fly rod is. They look at you, (laughs) (laughs) they look at you sideways. What the hell? Uh, the walleye fishermen up there. Um, so then I went back to spin fishing mostly, although I I still would bring the fly rod out because I like catching bass and stuff with the fly rod. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then I moved to Montana. I, I did a year in Montana. I worked at a fly shop in Montana. So obviously I was fly fishing a bunch then. And then I moved back to Illinois and, uh, the last three years have been mostly spin fishing, but I, go, I still go back and forth. Personally, I am not a, uh, a fly snob at all. It's like, I look at these people that are like so particular if you're, you know, if you're not using a fly or if you're using like, what, what's the difference between a, you know, a San Juan worm versus like a plastic, uh, 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 Berkeley bait or something. It's like, you know, pe- people get so particular about it. Me, I love to catch fish and I'll do whatever the best method is to catch that fish. Well, it makes sense when you describe like coming out to Colorado and picking up a fly rod because I feel like geography plays a decent role in that. I mean, I, I enjoy the act of fly fishing um, and I mostly fly fish, although I do pick up a spin rod from time to time. But, you know, in the mountain streams for trout, I feel like a fly rod is the most effective tool for that. Um, I would ha- I would be more lost in these these high mountain streams with a spin rod than I would with a fly rod. But if you're looking at you know deep water walleye or something, I would have no idea what to do with a fly rod. Um, so it, it is a matter of uh, like what it's it's what you like doing more because you can you can fish for most species with either one. But there are definitely areas that lend themselves more to one technique over another. Um, and at 100%. the end of the day, like do whatever is going to work best. <laughs> hundred percent. And that's my, that's the name of my game is like, I want to use the best tool for that species that I'm fishing, 
or maybe not the best tool, but maybe the most fun tool, you know? Um, and yeah, like you said, like a trout stream, uh, you know, if you see trout rising, like drifting a dry fly to a rising trout is like the best thing in the world. Uh, but you know, throwing, uh, you know, throwing blind casts off a deep ledge to, to walleye all day, it's like, uh, it's, it's not quite the same, you know, I'd rather, yeah, take the spinning rod and, and, uh, and see what I can do. So I do a lot of musky fishing too, and I go back and forth. Uh, I'm probably like 70% conventional on the musky fishing. Uh, cause yeah, throwing that, tw- a blind 12 way all day, man, that'll, that'll crush you. you know? <laughs> it's, a, it's an exercise in itself. Yeah, totally. So do you, um, ever do much fly fishing from a canoe then? Cause I was, when I was, uh, reading about like all the canoeing you've done, I'm like, that sounds really fun, but also being low to the water, uh, is kind of a hindrance if you're trying to fly cast. So have you, uh, experimented with like fly casting from a canoe at all, or do you tend to, uh, tailor, tailor your gear toward, uh, like the position you're going to be sitting in when you're casting? I totally, yeah. I take the fly rod out in the canoe all the time. Yeah. I, uh, this summer, doing a bunch of bass fishing with a fly rod at the local lake near me. Um, on the rivers, I'm usually taking the spinning gear in the canoe just because it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a little tighter water and we have like real thick brush underbrush on both sides. But, uh, no, I, I love fly fishing with the canoe. I only do it solo though. Um, if I'm going out with a buddy, two, two fly anglers in one canoe, <laughs> that's, that's a mess waiting to happen. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've done that a few times and learned my lesson. <laughs> uh, but yeah, from the, I, I love f- fishing on the fly from the canoe. Uh, I just did a speech, uh, uh, at the Midwest Mountaineering Expo. It's called the Outdoor Adventure Expo. One of the presentations I gave was, uh, called Catch More Fish, Fishing Tips and Tricks Fishing from a Canoe. A lot of it was focused on, uh, like, just reading water and strategy and stuff, but I talked some about fly fishing and yeah, I, I, uh, I love canoes. So I think it's presents a great way to access water that other boats and, and other people can access. And, uh, yeah, I, I fly fish from the canoe all the time. I love it. I stand up usually. And, uh, yeah, we'll cast that way. So tell me about the logistics of doing these long canoe trips, because, um, I, I tend to do a lot of like backcountry fishing. Um, and that's like what I, what I like to talk to people most about. Um, but it's usually in the context of hiking somewhere, uh, deep in the backcountry backpacking or just hiking into like a lake or a stream, uh, far away, but you're, you're generally carrying what you need on your back. You might stay for a couple of nights, come back out. Um, but you know, I, I have no idea what goes into like planning for one of these long canoe trips when you've obviously got a massive piece of gear, the canoe itself, um, plus everything that's going to go in there. So like how, walk me through how a, a longer trip in a canoe goes. Oh, it's the best. I love it. I love traveling by canoe. I, like I said, I think it's the best way to travel. Um, one, I, I think, uh, before we get into how, like the gear and stuff, I just think that, uh, like it, it applies to fishing too, right? Uh, a stream or a river uh, through any given valley is like the lifeblood of that valley, right? Like, doesn't you can take it on a tiny micro scale of like a little uh, a little creek or a little mountain stream, or you could you know go all the way on like a massive geological scale like the Mississippi or something. It's like whatever river is running through that, it's the lifeblood of that system. Like all of the wildlife 
comes to that river to eat or, or to drink, to relax, to get water. Uh, a lot of the plant life and trees are going to be found along that river. Um, and I just think it's like traveling rivers is just such a great way to see the heart of that ecosystem. Like you're just traveling like through the lifeblood. Um, so I think that's, that's, it's cool to travel rivers that way. And then gear wise, especially on some of these bigger trips, it's kind of funny. You, you basically need about the same amount of stuff, uh, for like a hundred day trip, like I did on the Mississippi as you would for like a, a three or four day trip. Um, and most of it is just your typical camping gear on the, the first time I did the long trip, uh, the Mississippi trip that was in 2017, uh, there was a lot of, uh, figuring it out as you go, right? Like I didn't, I had no idea what to bring. I had so much crap, Katie. I had, uh, I had like a, a full acoustic guitar. I had like three cutting <laughs> boards, two, uh, two cast iron, uh, fry pans, um, like just all kinds of ridiculous stuff that I didn't need. So I kind of whittled it down, uh, as I went, but the gist of it is basically, yeah, you got your canoe, uh, your sleeping gear, your tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad, um, uh, you know, your food, uh, uh, similar stuff that you would take on like a backpacking trip, but you don't have to be as concerned about weight, um, which is an advantage too. Yeah, that's what, when I was thinking about if I were in a canoe, I feel like I would easily fall into that trap. Like, I, I tend to pack, I'll fill up whatever space I'm given. And so if I give myself yep. a backpack, I'll fill up that backpack and it'll be fine. But, you know, when we when we car camp, it's suddenly like we're bringing 10 times more stuff because we've got a whole truck to fill up. And it's like, well, I know I don't need this stuff because when we go in just a backpack, I, I don't have that much room. And I, I just picture myself being given a canoe and being told to go wild. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to bring everything I own. <laughs> So it's the best part about it, if we bring uh, <laughs> all my trips, we bring a cooler, uh, well stocked with brewskis. Uh, you know, you can bring fresh foods, steaks, burgers, chicken, uh, bacon and eggs in the morning, the whole kitchen sink, uh, nice Coleman two burner stove. I always bring like a foldable uh, uh, table, uh, like a one of those plastic tables, chairs. It's the best living in luxury in the backcountry. So when you're trying to find a place to sleep, are you just generally looking for public land along the river and just kind of like pulling off somewhere and setting up your camp on shore, I assume? Or do you have to like carry yep, your yeah. canoe far in at all? Totally. Yeah. So I've done all kinds of canoeing trips, but on these two in particular, the, the Yukon and uh, the Mississippi, uh, the Mississippi, uh, uh, pretty much all of the islands uh, throughout the length of it, especially on the upper Mississippi, um, are all public. Uh, it's just public land. So you can uh, just pull your canoe up on a sandbank. And yeah, I'm usually just looking for, uh, I spent probably, I don't know, maybe 70% or so of the nights on islands, um, on a sandbar, just looking for a flat spot. Um, and then other the other times, uh, it would be just on the banks. Um, yeah, basically just looking for a flat spot or a good spot to stay. I also had a hammock. Uh, so there's a few times where I couldn't find good camp spots. So, uh, you know, like the ground was slanted or angled or real big boulders or something. So I would just pitch, pitch the hammock and, and use that too. Okay. Now are you mostly, it sounds like you're mostly going down rivers. Do you do any, uh, like lake canoeing as well? 
I do do lake canoeing, yeah. Um, I prefer the rivers, though. I prefer fishing rivers, and I prefer canoeing rivers. They're just more dynamic, I think. Um, you're seeing new things, right? Because the water's moving below you. So, like, when you turn the bend, it's a whole new, a whole new area. Whereas on the lake, uh, you know, it's just sitting still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love the moving river, uh, the moving water, and I love reading. There's something cool about reading reading rivers that i love too whether fishing or canoeing you know like is a trout behind that rock is you know like the water's moving slower around this bend or faster around this bend or slower around this point or whatever it might be i think it's just a little more dynamic so i i really yeah. do uh i do like rivers over lakes for sure i feel like you could almost be a pro and a con because i agree with you I, I like i like floating down a river because i get the new you know new terrain new holes to cast in stuff like that but um there's also the time where you see something good and then you you buy it like you've passed it and that was your one shot at it before you get past unless you want to like try to work back upstream and most of my experience has been in a kayak so it's it's not terribly hard for me to just to turn around paddle back upstream quickly and and get back to that spot but i feel like a canoe might be a little bit more cumbersome to turn around and go back upstream but i i could be wrong on that um as someone who doesn't have as much experience in a canoe yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Yeah, and you're right. It is a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you get to see and cover a lot more water, but uh, yeah, you might not get as many shots. But one uh-huh. of the things that I say too about specifically about canoeing fishing is whenever I'm like fishing from the canoe as opposed to just uh, recreational canoeing, just going out for a paddle, is I always, uh, I always try and pick a much smaller stretch of river to fish than a stretch of river that I would go out for a paddle for that reason, because, uh, so many times I've like fished a section that I anticipate would take me the same time just to paddle. And it's like, no, I'm stopping at every little hole and, you know, taking 10 minutes to cast into the, every little hole that I see along the way. It's like, I travel like an eighth of the speed that I normally would. So I've learned that a little bit is to just uh, uh, do much smaller sections when I'm trying to fish. And then that allows me a little more time to like stop it at some of those honey holes that I see along the way. When you're stopping, are you pulling the canoe off to the side of the river and, and standing there and fishing? Or do you like drop an anchor? Or does that depend kind of on like the type of water you're in? Yeah, it totally depends on the given situation, uh, how deep the water is. Lots of times I'll, uh, I'll paddle in waders. So I can just, uh, yeah, if it's shallow, I'll just hop right out of the boat and, uh, kind of hold the boat or pull the boat up and just stand in my waders and cast. Um, other times if it's deeper, I'll throw an anchor out or I'll tie off to like an overhanging tree and just kind of sit in the boat and cast, cast near the hole. Or I'll just, uh, yeah, pull the, pull the boat over to the bank and, and get out on the bank and have some casts from there. Now, how does one get into canoe fishing because it seems like a it might depend a little bit on where you live i suppose because i feel like at least where i live canoeing might not be the most effective um way to get around just because we don't have a lot of bigger rivers we do have some you know the colorado and stuff like that but a lot of the fishing that i do up in the mountains is like smaller streams so maybe not apt for a canoe but if someone is in like an area where canoeing is really like if the, the landscape lends itself well to a canoe how does one get started like is there a good place for someone to go to figure out like what what kind of canoes best for them or what brands are good things like that great question uh loaded question right because that there's about a million different ways people would probably answer that uh but um i and yeah you're totally right that uh, specifically in colorado in the front range uh 
there's no water. It's just like, you know, it's dry. There's streams, rocky creeks. There's some yeah. white water. Yeah, you have Colorado, um, probably, yeah, better fish with a drift boat. The Gunnison is a cool river to, to canoe um, in Colorado. But yeah, you're totally right. It doesn't lend itself as well as it might in the Midwest or on the East Coast um, or even, uh, you know, even farther out West uh, where there's a little more water, um, like Pacific Northwest or whatever. But right. Um, I think for me, I, I, it's just like, I just love it. It's like, it takes, I, I think the canoe is the best. Uh, it's just like the way it can move in the water. It's like when you're in a drift boat or a raft, you're just kind of like a big bus, like a big floating blob. And the canoe is so much more delicate. You can like move it exactly on the scene that you want. You can, uh, uh, like, kind of finesse it more than you can a raft or a drift boat. Um, so I love that aspect of it. And then I just love that. It's like, I don't know. It just feels right to me to be like paddle a canoe. I feel like, like an old French fur trader, uh, you know, trapping beavers in the 1700s or something. <laughs> uh, and as far as getting into it, um, I don't have any particularly great advice other than, I'm I'm not really a big gear oriented guy. I'm more of a take what you have, go get out there and then you'll kind of figure it out as you go. So canoe wise, you know, just that's the good thing about canoes. They're not very expensive, especially compared to like a drift boat or a raft or something. You can find canoe on Craigslist for a couple hundred bucks and uh, go have a wonderful time. Um, so I don't know as far as getting started and finding the right boats, uh, I don't know if I have a particular spot to point people. Maybe you can check out my website, buffaloromer.com. And if you have particular questions, feel free to reach out. Cause I'm, I'm always interested in, and in, in like talking canoeing with people, but, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just about going out and getting started and trying it out and figuring it out and seeing what works, you know, that might kind of answer my next question, but I was wondering how much, um, like specialized technique there is because I know there's specific paddles that you can use to do different things but um do, do you think it's important to know some of those specific techniques uh in terms of like navigating your canoe around or do you think that with enough time on the water um especially if you're in a river where you're just kind of trying to you know steer it straight avoid obstacles and things like that uh does it kind of come naturally to people when they when they just get out and do it enough I think yes and no if you're going by yourself it's, it can be tricky to learn to solo a canoe, especially if you have a bigger boat. Um, that, that can be a little tricky, but, uh, I don't think it's particularly difficult. No, I think it's probably a similar learning curve as it would be to row in, uh, you know, efficiently row in a raft or, or, a, or a drift boat or something. Um, but when, if it's something, I guess I would say this, it's a really low barrier to entry. Like you don't really need to know many strokes or many have fancy equipment or any of this stuff uh, to get on the water and, and use it as an effective tool to catch fish, to get to new water, or just to be on the water and enjoy yourself and have a good day. But if it's something that you're interested in, uh, you could go down the the rabbit hole and, and, uh, you know, look at all the nicest boats and, and, uh, you know, all the, the, the best techniques, there's a million different strokes, uh, all slight variations that, you know, improve efficiency or, uh, 
or uh, save effort or different maneuvers in the boat for uh, for you know side slipping water called ferrying where you can uh, go across the the river without losing any any uh, what would I say latitude or longitude I guess without any losing any any height on the river um, so. You, you could go forever if, if, if that's your calling, but I love that uh, you don't have to. You can also just hop in a plastic Coleman canoe with old beat-up paddle and go out to the honey hole, you know? Yeah. I have to suppose, too, that like this might be a good uh, reason to get out on the lake. Like When you're new, you, you know, you're, not, you're not risking running into stuff as much, so you could get out and just kind of like play around with it. Like, what does the boat do when I do this? What does the boat do when I do that? And if you get frustrated or sick of it, you can stop and fish for a little bit and then, you know, keep playing around with it without the worry of, you know, I've just drifted three miles. And I haven't actually gotten anything done because I'm just trying to figure out what to do to, you know, stay straight or whatever. Um, so totally. that might be a good argument for going out in the lake. Absolutely. Lake is much more forgiving for that, yeah. for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's just fun to get out on the water and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to be on the water in general, I think, is always enjoyable. So are you just throwing your canoe on on top of your vehicle to get it around? Because I'm picturing like a drift boat and you've got to get it like a trailer and stuff like that, which is kind of a hassle and a barrier to entry to folks. But um, I've seen a billion canoes on top of cars. So uh, is that how totally. you get yours around? Oh, yeah. Strap it on the top. And actually, uh, I get the funniest looks uh, for me. because I, So I got a little uh, Tacoma pickup. And, uh, I just, I put the, uh, I put the truck bed, uh, I put it in the truck bed and I have the bed closed and it just like hangs out the the back of my, uh, of my pickup. I have it all secured with straps, but it overhangs the, uh, the bed and it, it does look pretty goofy. I always get goofy looks driving down the, driving down the freeway, <laughs> but it's secure. Uh, I also do have like a little canoe trailer, uh, for when I'm guiding trips, I'll throw like six, it can take six canoes. Um, so that helps if I have a bunch of them, but also, yeah, before I had the truck, I was just, just tossing it on the, on the roof rack or on the, the, uh, uh, roof of the car with some, uh, pool noodles and strapping it through the window. Cool. So it sounds like whatever you've got access to, you should be able to make something work at least. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, like, yeah, like we've been saying, that's one of the awesome parts, pretty low barrier of, of entry and getting into it. So how do you handle, uh, like ending up anywhere between, I don't know, it sounds like you go anywhere from 30 days to hundreds of days between when you're dropping your canoe, uh, off in the water and then, you know, you, you finish. So how are you getting back and forth between your vehicle, um, and like where you end up taking out? Sure. Uh, on the longer trips, uh, it's, it's, on the Mississippi, um, I started up in northern Minnesota and then 103, 103 days later ended in uh, New Orleans. And on that one, my mom came and picked me up uh, okay. in New Orleans and we rented a car and drove back drove back north to Illinois. Um, the Yukon uh, trip, uh, we ended up uh, at the mouth of the river where it pours into the Bering Sea there in uh, kind of north central Alaska on the west coast. And... Uh, we sold all of our gear or a lot of our gear and we sold our canoes in this little uh, fishing village, Imanic, Alaska, and sold some of our gear and then caught just like a little puddle jumper um, out from that village uh, to a couple other stops and then eventually made it to Anchorage. Um, on other trips, it's usually that yeah, I usually will set a shuttle. So most of the trips that I'm doing are like weekend trips or two or three days. 
Um, I go out all the time and I'm doing those trips all throughout the year. And uh, yeah, we'll, so we'll usually just run a shuttle. We'll leave one car at the uh, starting points uh, and then we will take two vehicles, drive back to the ending point, leave one of the vehicles at the ending point, uh, and then that person will uh, hop back in with the shuttle vehicle, drive back to the start, and then we start. It's kind of a pain, but uh, it's just part of it, I suppose. How does that work if you're by yourself, or are you generally not by yourself on these trips? Uh, depends. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, if I'm going by myself, there's two ways to do it. Uh, I'm still trying to perfect the self shuttle. What I in my head, I, I what I want is a uh, a dirt bike, and I'll get a hitch. I'll put the dirt bike on the hitch, the canoe on the truck, and then I'll leave the dirt bike at the end point, and then drive to the start point, and then canoe, and then once I get to the end, take my dirt bike back to my truck. Uh, that's the ideal. I, I don't, I don't have that set up running yet. Uh, that's the ideal self shuttle rig, but, uh, currently there's two options. Uh, I either, uh, will hitchhike back. I've done that a bunch of times. I'll just start and, uh, yeah, just go to the nearest road and stick out my thumb and hope, hope for a ride back to the, uh, back to the put in that one. I usually have to leave a little more, a little more time at the end of the trip to, uh, to make sure I get a ride. Um, or the other, the other option is if I'm just going for a day trip, uh, like just fishing for the day, which I do all the time, um, I'll just paddle upstream for the first half of the day, uh, kind of get a view of the holes, uh, and like what I will be fishing and then I'll fish up and then I'll float back down to the car. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually, I used to do a lot of that in a kayak, like start off somewhere, paddle up and then give myself maybe a half hour float back down and, um, you know, it gets you a little bit of a workout on the way up and then you can relax the whole way back and not have to work once you're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it kind of helps, uh, cause you know, you know, the holes that are coming when yeah. you're floating back in the car, you're like, okay, I got in my mind, like there's a good hole here and the next bend is not that good. And then a good hole down there. So you can kind of allocate time a little more. So I want to kind of dive into some of the fishing you've done on these trips, um, of the ones you've mentioned, or, or I guess even ones that you haven't, um, but like the Yukon, uh, I saw on your website, you did like a big one in Saskatchewan, um, Mississippi, like does any of, uh, do any of these spots stand out to you in terms of the fishing that you have to do there and just like anything stand out notably, uh, in terms of like good or bad fishing or things that you learned along the way that you think would be helpful? Um, I think the thing that stands out on both of those trips uh, sadly on the Mississippi, I didn't really do, uh, a ton of fishing. Honestly, on both the Mississippi and the Yukon, I didn't do as much fishing as I would have liked, uh, partly just because I was just so busy. Like, you know, you, you wake up in the morning, make breakfast, you get on the water, you canoe all day until it's dark. And then you pull up to camp, you set up camp, make food. And like, by the time that happens, you're just like, whipped ready to just sleep and kind of repeat so i didn't do as much fishing as i would have liked to on the mississippi or the yukon um but uh the yukon was like just tons of salmon uh the salmon runs were going and while even though i wasn't fishing we went into a bunch of like uh, native salmon camps um where they just have like uh you know tons and tons of salmon hanging and smoking um that will like supply them. There's a subsistence, uh, fishermen and hunters. And so it'll, they'll, they'll use that 
uh, to feed their family and like their, their dog teams, their sled dog teams up there through the winter. So that was pretty cool. Um, just seeing all that. And like, we had so many commercial, uh, native commercial fishermen, just like hand us full salmon, like what we're paddling by and like, Hey, come on over and we'll go over and they'll just toss like a, a full salmon <laughs> in our boat. <laughs> like, all right. Eating like Kings tonight. Uh, so that, that on neither of those trips did I really fish as much as I would have liked to, uh, the Brooks range trip that I mentioned that, uh, yeah, the grayling fishing on that was just spectacular. I'd love to get back up there, uh, and do some more grayling fishing. Um, those are sweet, sweet, sweet fish. Uh, but yeah, I've done a ton of different, uh, like fishing specific trips. Usually it's like the canoeing stuff that I do is, uh, I have one buddy that I go fishing, canoe fishing with all the time, but typically it's like more canoeing and I'll fish when I can, or like fish on the side. Uh, and then I also do lots of fishing trips where it's just like, all right, we're here to fish all day, every day. And those are some of my favorites too. So tell me kind of the logistics of those trips. Like, what are you, what are you usually fishing for? Do you have like favorite species that you like to target around home? Um, or that you like to travel to, uh, over and over again to get, uh, specific fishing? Totally. Uh, around home, I'm mostly targeting smallmouth and pike, uh, big pike. Those are my two favorite things to fish. Um, I love it. Uh, Yeah, I I love it. Smallmouth, like so pretty, they're so strong, they're aggressive, uh, yeah, they're awesome fish, uh, and big pike fishing. I really love too. I think they get a, uh, they get a bad rap in the, in the fishing world, not as much in the fly fishing world. I think the fly fishing world's coming around to them a little bit, but in like the conventional world, like when I was up in South Dakota, you know, people would throw them on the shore or whatever. Cause they think they're eating the walleye. Uh, but man, there's nothing better than the alpha predator of a big pike, uh, in that water system, you know, just toothy beasts and the way they fight and run and hit, uh, I love, love chasing big pike. Um, and then, yeah, I've been really lucky that my dad is a, uh, is a, an angler and he's like a, he loves to do some of the more destination fly fishing trips. So, um, I've been fortunate to go to a lot of places with him. Uh, we've done, or actually I just not with him, but by myself last November, I did uh, a trip in Brazil chasing peacock bass, um, wolfish, uh, uh, big, uh, parabi catfish. That was awesome. I've done, um, a lot of the saltwater stuff. I've done Belize for permit and bonefish. I've done, uh, musky fishing here in the Midwest, I've done, uh, red fishing. I did one red fishing trip. Would like to do that again. Um, what else? Uh, that might be it. I think I'm missing a few in there. I've done a couple Alaska trips, um, big bows and salmon and stuff, but yeah, I think, I, I think I like the big, like big, big game fish now, like musky pike. Um, I'd like to get a tarpon. I've never done tarpon fishing, but, uh, love to, to try and chase some of those big, like hundred plus pound tarpon. I think that'd be sick. Um, I've gotten more into that as I've grown, uh, more of like hunting for the big fish rather than, uh, uh, you know, looking for numbers. Mm-hmm. 
Have you gotten to do any of these more destination trips in a canoe? I mean, some of them I don't think really lend themselves well to a canoe. Obviously, like the saltwater stuff, you know, you, you, you might be like flats waiting or whatever. But any of the ones that would be doable uh, via canoe, have you found a way to, you know, rent gear while you're there and, and go out and boat? Or are you just kind of taking those as just fishing trips and you're not as worried about getting out in a boat? Yeah, mostly just fishing trips. Uh, on the Brazil trip, we had some of like the native boats that are just like long wooden uh, kind of dugouts. Those are pretty sweet, kind of similar to a canoe. Um, but no, on those trips, I'm mostly just, uh, yeah, I'm just, just zoned in on on fishing and, and how, what the best way to do it. And that's usually like, yeah, flats boat or uh, the red fishing trip. I did some kayak fishing for redfish down in the swamps of uh Louisiana. That was fun. Um, but yeah, flats boats, John boats, jet boats, uh, that type of stuff mostly. Okay. That sounds like a lot of fun. Like how, how do you have all the time for this? I think I saw that you, are you a guide most of the year? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I have a guiding company, uh, called Buffalo Roamer Outdoors. Uh, we do wilderness trips, uh, canoe specifically is our specialty. Um, so yeah, I have, uh, five trips, uh, that I'll be doing. So it's, it's, uh, it's growing, but uh, yeah, it's not a full-time, uh, occupation right now. Um, but, uh, it's kind of my side, side hustle. Um, and I'm also a, a farmer is what I do for my full-time job. Yeah. I raise, uh, I raise livestock, uh, pigs here in, uh, in Illinois. Um, so luckily, uh, it's, it's a family farm operation that I, that I run here. So, leaves a little bit of, uh, of leeway. Uh, and I got a good crew of guys that I'm able to, to, to help me out for when I'm going and doing, doing these trips. They're, uh, they're usually willing to help out as long as I tell them a couple stories. I can confidently say you're the first full-time farmer I've talked to on the show. Uh, <laughs> and I, I feel like a lot of people might be kind of jealous of your setup, like farm, farm is your full-time gig. And then, you know, in your off time, do a little guiding in your side gig. And then you just can go pay to have a bunch of fun, you know, in your time off. Like that sounds kind of like the dream for a lot of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's not, it's not a bad gig. It's the farming is a lot of work, but uh, yeah, it, it's great. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so funny uh, telling people that there's always, there's always like a little shock value, not shock value, but yeah, it's so funny. Most people don't know a farmer, which is funny to think of because, you know, like a generation, probably like two generations ago, like all of our grandparents pretty much grew up on a farm or, 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 or close to one because everybody had to be farmers back then. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It works out pretty well. I like, uh, I get to be outside all the time, which obviously is a passion and, uh, yeah, it works out well for allowing me to do, uh, to do these other trips, which, which is a huge passion of mine as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not bad. Tell me about your guided trips. Like if someone books a trip with you, what kinds of things can they, can they do? Like what, what kinds of trips do you take? Yeah. So, uh, we do backcountry canoe trips is the specialty. So what we do is anywhere from, uh, three, uh, I think the longest trip uh, we have is up to the Yukon river up in, uh, Northern or in, uh, Yukon territories in, in Canada, uh, out of Whitehorse, Canada, that trip is eight days. Um, so yeah, it's anywhere from three to eight days, just fully guided backcountry canoeing. Uh, so it's like a wilderness, a true wilderness uh, experience, a wilderness reset. Um, so we, uh, for instance, I'll just use one trip that we do in Utah uh, on the Green River in Utah. Um, it'll be five days and uh, there's tons of awesome uh, epic like side hikes that we'll do. 
Uh, we, we cook meals under the stars on the open fire and like awesome stargazing. Uh, it's a pretty like uh, laid back pace. Uh, it, it, that's what I love about canoeing is that it lends itself to like, you're in this insanely remote, just absolutely remarkable, beautiful place. But uh, it's not like backpacking where you're like, hating every step until you get there and like like you know just just thinking about when you're going to get the pack off or or uh it's not strenuous like that it's like all you're doing is just chilling in a boat you know we paddle we're probably we're actively paddling through much of the day but yeah it's pretty laid back um and they're small trips so uh generally speaking uh this fluctuates a little bit but generally speaking we have uh six people in a group uh anywhere from six to eight typically um, so super small dynamics, people get to know each other really well, form awesome friendships. That's the coolest thing that I think is, uh, people it's so crazy. I'm sure you found this as well, like how well you get to know somebody camping with them in the backcountry just for a few days. Yep. Like, like, you know, them so much better than you did even like being good friends with them for like five years. Like you spend three nights in the backcountry. It's like you, you kind of understand how they work and it's so cool seeing people uh because we always think about like on these trips it's always the selling point is always like the spectacular beauty the nature the wilderness like uh, uh getting away from it all and that's always like why I go back and that's always why people sign up for it but it's really the relationships that people form on these trips that is so special uh, because you get to know people so well. You're all like together, like on a team, uh, uh, you know, kind of reaching for the same goal and enjoying, enjoying the vacation and, and trip together. And yeah, the bonds that people form on those trips are, are really cool. Uh, and yeah, you know, I have all different kinds of group texts from the various trips that I've done over the years. And, uh, you know, they still go off, off at random times from trips, you know, years ago where people be like, Hey, I saw this and, and just remember, made me think of X, Y, and Z, you know? So that that's, that's, I think one of the neat parts. And, and I think what people unexpectedly enjoy too. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I don't think I have a single uh, close friend that I haven't spent at least two or three days uh, in the wilderness with just because it really solidifies a bond. Like I've got plenty of friends that I just, you know, get together with, with for drinks or whatever in town um but there's something different there's like a deeper level you don't reach until you've um sat under a tarp in a hailstorm with somebody or something and you're just you know your your bond is a little bit more solidified at that point when you're, you're kind of forced to rely on each other um share things that you might not share in like a more casual setting where um you're not being put to the test together there's just something totally. different about it yeah and also i think uh, another part that plays into that is uh, on these trips that we go on, there's no cell coverage. We're we're like we're out there. We're out in the middle of the backcountry. Uh, no light pollution, nothing. But no cell coverage, so it's not like you're like hiding. Like when we're like we're sitting around the campfire at night, like telling stories, laughing. Uh, you're not like tucked away on your phone because you could pull your phone out, go for it, you know, take a few photos, but it's not going to do any good uh, other than that. So I think that that lends uh, itself to kind of the the unique group dynamics that these trips uh that these trips have as well and like i said just the spectacular beauty and and yeah you know most of these places that we go uh you know 
they're some of the most spectacular wilderness destinations in North America. And people don't, uh, especially city folk, uh, don't, don't get that very often. Yeah. This last trip I had, uh, a gal from New York city, uh, one from, uh, LA one from, and two from San Diego. Um, and yeah, it's cool to be able to share those like raw wilderness, amazing experiences, uh, with, with, folks who maybe don't uh don't get to see that all the time now do folks uh get to fish on these trips or are they generally busy uh dealing with the canoe like i don't know if you're able to just steer whoever's in your canoe around and you know you can take turns fishing or paddling or people kind of um on the on the spot the whole time trying to like just logistically do things and they don't have time to to cast no totally that's the best thing about these trips is i take care of uh, uh i take care of all the logistics and all of the like not maybe quote unquote, not fun stuff. Uh, so yeah, there, there's like tons of time for fishing, swimming, hiking. Like if somebody wants to do something and the group is down with it, like we do it. Um, yeah, the green river, the trip in Utah has really good cat fishing. Um, so yeah, we did a bunch of cat fishing, uh, on that trip that we were just, uh, just down there in October, caught some decent channel catfish. Um, and yeah, t- tons of opportunity for, for that. Uh, the the green is kind of yeah pretty much just catfish unfortunately fortunately unfortunately I, I like catfish but uh, we didn't get into any huge ones but yeah we we plenty of time for yeah like fishing swimming reading uh, telling stories whatever whatever people want to do we do it do you have to like ever coach people on what to do when you're you know if you're the back of the boat paddling let's say and someone's trying to Cat, like cast a rod for the first time are you trying to like talk them through it while you're handling the boat totally yeah absolutely yeah that's the name of the game is uh is yeah teaching people and i i love like sharing i don't even think of it as much as teaching as just like sharing if somebody's interested in it like i've had a passion for this stuff my whole life so you know i've accrued uh, at least i don't know much but i know a little bit you know i've accrued a little bit of of knowledge and so yeah, dude, to be able to share that with somebody, uh, that's the best. I love doing it. And yeah, so I, I bring all of the, uh, all of the fishing gear. Cause most of the people like, uh, most of the people want to fish, like they'll write like, Hey, uh, are we going to be able to fish? But they're kind of newbies so that they're not, uh, like proficient in it. So yeah, I bring all the fishing gear. They just get their license. Um, and then it's not like a guided fishing trip. Like you would have if you went, uh, you know, to wherever, uh, but w- like a, with a guide who's like looking over your shoulder, watching for fish every time. But yeah, no, I'm totally instructing people, uh, rigging people up, uh, putting us in positions where like into fishy spots. Uh, yeah. And all that. Uh, do you ever keep fish either on your personal trips or guided trips? Like do you ever keep fish to cook over the fire at night? Totally. Yeah. I'm uh, personally, I would say I'm probably like 95%, maybe 96% catch and release um, when I'm personally fish. Uh, if I'm catching walleye, I love walleye, so I'll keep walleye. Uh, my girlfriend really likes eating walleye too, so that helps. Um, but sometimes I'll keep some trout um, if it's like a nice small eater trout or something in like a backcountry lake or a, you know backcountry spot that's not hammered a bunch. Um and then on the trips, it seems like people do like, uh, you know, cooking the fish. So yeah, we'll keep a, you know, uh, a fish or two, uh, 
on a trip if it's something that people want to do. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a unique and kind of a cool experience for folks to be able to catch something that they ate uh, or eat something that they caught, especially when it's like they're not diehard anglers or it's, it's not something that they get the opportunity to do all the time or even would know how to do, you know? Well, it sounds like a canoe is kind of the perfect um, like vehicle to keep fish in the backcountry because we don't, we don't tend to keep a lot of fish when we're backpacking just because you have to eat it like kind of right away. You know, you don't have a cooler to keep it cold or anything. So unless you're going to keep it and then throw it in the fire within uh, maybe a couple hours, we're throwing most of them back. And then we'll keep some more if we're in a place like a, a cabin or something where we can bring them back. But the canoe, you can just throw the cooler in and, you know, you could be in the backcountry, but still have the ability to keep fish cold for a little bit longer if you want to save it for a day or two, which sounds um, really luxurious. <laughs> Totally. It's great. Yeah. Like I said, it's one of the, one of my favorite parts and the advantages of the canoe, you bring the cooler, got it iced down, bring the kitchen sink. And, uh, yeah, uh, sometimes too, we'll just keep them on the stringer and, and throw them over the side of the boat as we're going, you know, if we're keeping fish. Cool. Well, um, do you want to just wrap up by telling me about, um, your podcast some more and any other places that people can find you if they want to, um, either book a trip with you or just listen to your show or, um, send you an email. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so my podcast is called, uh, Buffalo Roamer Outdoors. Uh, yeah, you can find it anywhere, uh, Spotify, Apple podcasts, all the same places that, uh, you're, you're listening to this great show. Um, we talk about canoeing, backpacking, through hiking, um, uh, what else? All kinds of crazy stuff. I talked to a Alaskan smoke jumper who had tons of cool stories about, uh, smoke jumping and then like living off of the land. He did like a 70 day trip, uh, living off the land. He brought nothing with him other than fishing gear and a rifle and, uh, lived off the land for 70 days. Um, what else? Talked to a guy who skateboarded from Chicago to New York city. That one was different <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, uh, Jeff Courier, if, uh, anglers, uh, of this podcast might know him. He's a well-known fly fishing angler. I think he has the most, uh, species of anyone ever on, uh, on fly. Um, I've had him on the show. So yeah, talk to a bunch of good people. Uh, Buffalo Roamer Outdoors is the name of that show. Go check that out. And then the website is buffaloroamer.com. Uh, I have all of the trips that we do, uh, as well as, all the blogs from my Mississippi trip, from the Yukon trip. I have a fishing blog that I do up there. I try and I'm not as good as I should be, but I try and do a little blog for, for most of the fishing trips that I go on throughout the year. Um, those are fun. Uh, yeah. Shoot me an email. Buffalo Romer at yahoo.com is my email. I'm always stoked to talk canoeing, paddling, fishing, uh, backcountry stuff you name it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the rundown on how to get a hold of me. Social media, I guess, um, at Buffalo Romer on Instagram and the same on Facebook. Great. And folks will get a, a little preview of your show too, because it sounds like we're going to do a, a swap. So I'm going to come on your show tomorrow and get to relax on the other side of the mic for once. I love being Yeah, a guest. exactly. It's <laughs> nice. I asked you to go first uh, when, we, when we set this up because I just got off work and I like rushed over here and I didn't have time to prep and do all the normal stuff that I would when I'm the host. So yeah, it's nice just to, just to turn the computer on and, and talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. And um, it sounds like we're going to release uh, both episodes on both um, channels. 
channel. So uh, anyone who wants kind of a, a teaser or preview of your show, I guess we'll get it um, and I'll be your guest. Uh, who knows when it will come out, but people will get a little taste of what your show has to offer. And I'm guessing people who are into backcountry fishing are also interested in hearing uh, about someone surviving off the land for 70 days, as well as everything else you cover. Um, pretty big overlap there. So hopefully people will check out your show um, and hear some cool stories from other folks doing fun stuff in the outdoors. Yeah, totally. And thanks for uh, for keeping keeping crushing your show. Uh, yeah, I've always enjoyed uh, tuning in. And usually I'll like kind of go through the list if I'm going on a, a fishing trip to a new place or something. And I'll be like, okay, this guy's talking about, you know, whatever type of fish it is that I'm looking for. I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll listen to this one and see, uh, you know, see if I can pick, pick up a few tips before I hit the water. So yeah, keep, keep crushing it. Awesome. Thank you, Will. Um, appreciate the, the kind words and um, I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Katie. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com, for all episodes and show notes. And also, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody.